Welcome to the Wait Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wait Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to waitparkchurch.org. Oh, this morning's scripture reading is 1 Samuel 7, chapter 7, verse 1 through 14. It's in page 402 of my large print Bible, but page 886 of your pew Bible. Then the men of Kirjah, Jerem, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjah, Jerem, a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then the Lord spoke, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods in the asterisks from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the, the, the Baals and the asterisks, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, and he, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, and drove them back as far as beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Thank you all for sharing and leading in worship this morning. I, uh, I have to be careful this morning what I say. Uh, I spoke, well, when I spoke last time from, from Acts, was it? Um, I made all these comments about Pastor Nan having all sorts of trouble, 
uh, in, in Europe. You know, their, their plane, the baggage didn't come with the plane, and the book, a hotel was overbooked, and they missed the train, and on and on I went, trying to illustrate that when Paul went to Jerusalem with his offering for the saints, things didn't go as he planned. In fact, the glorious time he anticipated became a very, very challenging and rough time. Now, I've got to be careful because I found out since that Carrie and Ann were listening to the sermon. And they were texting back and forth or messaging back and forth with Holly uh, in response to my negative comments about their trip. So, you know, they just may be listening in, so I've got to be careful here. Actually, when Pastor asked me if I would share my testimony... Uh, I thought about it, and then I asked him, how much time do I have? I mean, it's kind of dangerous to ask a preacher to just use five or ten minutes' time. And he graciously said, oh, I hadn't mind you preaching. Oh. So I guess this is a sermon and a testimony. And you'll have to figure out which. Or at which time. Um, I'm a child of the church. I was born in her parsonages, raised in her parsonages. I went to her camps as a child, as a teen, as an adult. I sought the Lord at her altars. I went to her college, one of her colleges. I married one of her daughters. She granted me ordination and the privilege of ministering her pulpits. I've had the honor of serving in significant district leaderships in three different districts. I'm a child of the church. I'm, you know, my parents were committed to the church. In fact, not only is my father an ordained minister, or was before he passed away, his father was, and three of my four grandparents were ordained ministers in the church. Uh, my grandmother mother's mother was actually one of the very early women ordained ministers in the church. She and her husband graduated from, well, not only before it was Houghton University, before it was Houghton College, Houghton Academy. I want to say it was in 1805. It could have been 18 or 1405. 1905 or 1906. Uh, one, one of those early years, I've got a picture of the five graduates of Houghton Academy. Um, my family was committed to the church. So, unlike Jed, whose testimony is so powerful, I'm a child of the church. I'm, I'm a son of God. Um, my father, I think, he thinks he coined the phrase. Don't tell him. If you get to heaven and run across him, don't, don't, don't tell him. But I don't think he's the one that coined the phrase, God has no grandchildren. It's true, though, that each one of us individually, of our own volition in response to God's grace and revelation to us, must come and enter into a personal relationship through the, 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 the repentance of our sins or asking of forgiveness 
our understanding that Jesus died for me and a commitment of our lives to follow him wherever he leads. I'm a child of God. Years and years and years and years ago, you won't believe it, you know, 1968 or so, when uh, the, the congregation that this was a part of denomination, the Wesleyan Methodist Church merged with the Pilgrim Holiness Church and uh, districts began to merge. And so in Ohio, we, we had three districts. And so we were talking about how we come together as two different de former denominations into one or two districts. And they decided, the leaders, that we would get to know each other first. Not a bad strategy. And so instead of each of us having our own ministerial kind of thing, we came together as three districts in one ministerial. And the guys decided that in one of the opening sessions, they would just ask fellas to give their testimony. And one fellow who gave his testimony confessed that he poked his neighbor in the ribs and said, which time? You know, which time did I come to Jesus? You know, which time? I saw some heads nod. You understand what I'm talking about. You know, I, I've gone to the altar as a child, as a young person. I've gone to the altar in revival services at camp meetings. I can remember not being able to sleep as a child one night and rolling out of bed and going into my parents' bedroom and awakening them and asking them to pray for me. But I can also remember the last time I went to the altar to seek God's forgiveness and grace. And it was completely, it was amazingly remarkable because it was totally unremarkable. I, remember, I don't remember what I was struggling with. I don't remember what the issues were. But we were in camp meeting time, and I went down to what we call the lower tabernacle or the youth tabernacle. It was a big tabernacle, but not as big as the main one. I was all alone. Knelt at the altar and prayed, or tried to pray. Really didn't have much to say. Finally got up and left determine whether I felt any different or any better or any outpouring of emotion, I was going to walk with Jesus. Now, I've sought the face of the Lord since, you understand. But I don't think I've ever, since that time, sought his forgiveness and his grace in the redemption of my heart and life. I committed myself to him and whether it was high water or low water, whether I felt the blessings and the presence of God or had no feeling whatsoever, this was the way I was going. Really, I would say my life has been quite unremarkable. You know, Jed spoke last week. You know, talk about a remarkable story of God's grace. Um, Mine would be more like Pastor Corey's, but, but yet different. And I can't really speak of any special crises. My first year of pastoral ministry, I had a personal crisis. I've reflected upon that recently and some of the lessons that learned and some of the ways that 
God helped me get through that. But all of you have walked with Martha and me in these last six months as we've gone through a uh, personal crisis. Um, Corey got up, or uh, Carrie got up to tell the story, children's story, at all. She's going to be forced to tell the same story she, she told uh, two and a half years ago. On the first, day of or first Sunday of 2021, when I was asked to preach, and I used that passage that George read a few moments ago, and I think it was Carrie who told that story to the children. I, I think my memory is right. And I, oh, I was so blessed when she didn't have to tell it again. Because it's, it's a convoluted story. I mean, how can you tell that story to children? She did a super job, as I recall it. But she told a much better story. But, but I, you know, on that Sunday, January 3rd, 2021, it'll be two and a half years ago tomorrow, that I preached on that sermon, that story, about Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. Part of the confusion in that passage is 20 years earlier, uh, that same name is used for that place. And so the controversy, did it just get its name now in chapter 14 or back there in chapter 7? Uh, chapter 4? If in chapter 4, it's a profound statement, you know, to say now... Thus far, the Lord has helped me. And my challenge to you back then was how can we live today so that 20 years from now, looking back on these 20 years, we can say, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Um, you know our story, or at least part of our story. It was uh, actually January 3rd of this year that Martha went to the doctor. Uh, the doctor didn't say anything, um, but must have suspected some things and scheduled a, a CT scan the next day up in Blaine. We went and before the day was over, the doctor's calling Martha and asking if she can refer her to a oncologist. Yes, okay. She ordered some blood tests just the next day. She's Martha's having more blood tests. Um, the following Tuesday, which would have been a week later, we went to have a consultation with the oncologist who uh, basically said she had cancer. Uh, CCA125 tests were out of the roof. And uh, so on Tuesday, she met the oncologist on Wednesday. Uh, she had a cancellation and therefore could do a biopsy. On Thursday, Martha had a um, port put in, another scan on, on Friday, and Monday she's going to the hospital. This is the 16th of January. Actually, it was two weeks after we had planned to make a trip. And Martha said, you know, you kind of messed up your knee. Let's, let's not go right now. Went in for her first chemo, which they couldn't do because she had a partial bowel obstruction, so they admitted her to the hospital. Next day, she did have the chemo, but part of this bowel obstruction, they put a tube down her nose so that 
things that couldn't pass through her bowel would uh, come up through this tube and that caused problems. And really there was one problem after another. Um, Martha even talked to Angela when she came about her funeral. Um, she asked me to talk to some people that she hadn't felt she'd quite behaved properly for. Uh, with every step forward, as Murphy say, with every step forward, you take two backwards. It, it seemed to be that way. When they'd share some good news with Martha, she was just afraid of the, you know, the other hand coming down, uh, the other news. They would tell her, they started talking about um, letting her out to go to a um, transitional care and she knew she wouldn't and she didn't. <laughs> uh, finally she did get out after a second chemo there in the hospital. Went to a transitional care which she was just so excited about. Within a couple days she was having challenges and um, Missy, I believe, went in the ambulance to take her back to emergency, this time at the university hospital, see what was going on. She, bless her heart, she spent five hours in the hallway of emergency. Five long hours in the hallway, uh, being carted out for some tests and so forth, but back to the hallway. Finally, Missy and I took her back to the nursing home. Only to, you know, a week or so later, similar things, and she goes back. This time they find that the bleed, one of her challenges through this whole period was her hemoglobin kept going down, couldn't keep it up. She, I don't know how many units of blood she'd had. They finally determined in this second emergency examination that she had a bleed inside the tumor. And therefore, the tumor was enlarging, uh, putting pressure on a variety of other organs. And so the issue became that the original plan had been three chemos, then surgery, and three more chemos. So the issue became, do we go to surgery or have, three, have the third chemo? Um, and I remember being in prayer meeting, see if I recall correctly, the prayer meeting the first Wednesday of uh, Lent, they had a snowstorm, whatever, and it was uh, canceled. And so that special service was the next Wednesday. And uh, several of you, some of you here, gathered with me at the back of the sanctuary and pastor had prayer. And it just seemed, though one of the doctors had wasn't, you know, she just shared there were a lot of potential complications to going ahead with the surgery. It just seemed like there was no other alternative. And so next day or two, when we met with her surgeon, the oncologist, chose to, to go to surgery, and that next Monday she had surgery. What was it all? Five or six hours of it? Long, long day. Um, 
there was a couple pretty touch and go days. But from then on, it's been, well, I, I won't say it's been downhill, <laughs> but it's, it's been better and better and better, better, you know. Uh, like uh, my dad would say, forward by jerks. Uh, you would like to, you know, be new, but it's, it's like this. Uh, we were looking forward, Martha was, to the sixth chemo, which would be the last, and the doctor says, you know, let's schedule a seventh just in case. She has a CT scan, which shows there's a little, and which wasn't a surprising, lingering spot or two cancer in her abdomen. And, um, and so the decision had to be made, well, do we not have seventh chemo or do we have seventh chemo? She's had her seventh chemo, has two more scheduled, and we'll see where things are at. But as I reflect upon that earlier experience that I had in my first year of pastoring, and these, these last six weeks, six months, excuse me, six months tomorrow, um, I'm transitioning now, you understand, from testimony to message. There are three things that helped me over that hump and have helped Martha and I, Doug and Bissy and Angela and Patrick, over this hump. First of all, the conviction that we're in the center of God's will. Let me say it again. The conviction that we're in the center of God's will. We're where God has placed us. We're obeying him. And if we have to go through the fire or the deep flood, he's going with us. And if he is with us, all is well. If he is walking with us, let me flip it. If we're walking with him, all is well. I think of the three Hebrew children in the fire. You know the story. Not everybody's come out of the fire unscathed. You understand that? You understand that? But you can be assured of this, that he was there and he walked with them. And like the song we like to hear sung, all is well with my soul. I remember that first year, that first church. You know, I have to confess to you, never since have I had that sense of assurance that, yes, this was the decision I was supposed to make. I mean, God just overwhelmed me with the sense that when I said yes to that invitation to pastor, I was doing the right thing. And I thought about that over the years. Why did I have that unusual sense of divine approval? Because he knew the valley I would go through and the need I had to know that I was where he put me. If I was where he put me, he was there too. 
The second exhortation is the exhortation of prayer. I think the team's going to be coming up to lead us in a closing song. I may take a little longer than anticipated in sharing with you, though. So don't bother. Don't let them bother you. Uh, Come on up. Come on up. (laughs) Come on up. I'm thinking not so much of my praying and Martha praying and family praying. I'm talking about the church praying. I remember that experience I had, oh my, 60, 65 years ago, whatever it was. There was a lady that came up to me the next summer, I believe it was. Uh, Maybe it was a whole year later. She was out of the congregation my father pastored there in Marion. That back in the 60s, it ran 300, 350, which you understand back then was a mega church. It's a big church. And and this, this elderly lady, I'm sure she gets younger all the time as I get older, you understand. Short little lady, um, and, and a bit frail. Her daughter was one of the, the secretaries of an executive at the International Center. And uh, it would embarrass the daughter, adult daughter, to death because uh, her mother was, you know, a little frail and took her longer to get ready for church and so forth. She was hard of hearing, and uh, she had to sit right there because she had to hear. She had to be as close as possible as she could to the pulpit so she could hear as best she could hear. And it embarrassed Genevieve to death because they'd come in late and have to come clear to the front, (laughs) sit there. They were from Pennsylvania and it must have been the next summer then that they took a vacation back to Pennsylvania to visit family and friends. And uh, they must have sought dad's directions because they walked in on me one Sunday morning. And um, uh, Sister Dick and her daughter Genevieve and another secretary from the International Center, Phyllis. And um, as they left, little Sister Dick took my hands in hers and said, Dwayne, I want you to know that I pray for you every day. She didn't know what she was praying for back whenever that first year was, but every day she was lifting Duane to the Lord in prayer. I'm talking about your prayers. The times you've communicated with me or Martha or your cards that you're praying for us. Those many weeks when Martha wasn't able to come to church and you'd ask me how she was. The knowledge that the church is praying for her. I mean you, but I mean more than you. You understand? Uh, We've got siblings who are walking in the faith and they've shared with their small groups and so forth. Sharon teaches in a public school or a private school, has a little prayer group. Her class is able to pray. You understand it's a Christian school. And, and she's mentioned Martha to that little group. And I think near the end of her school year, one little girl came up to her and asked, how's Martha? How's Martha doing? You know, in fact, in some group I was in you know, within the last couple of weeks, the question was asked, 
can, can you be a Christian? The answer would be yes. And just meeting with a small group. I mean, I know people who've kept the faith, walked with Jesus in concentration camps all by themselves. So if you're put in a situation where you have no team to go journey with you, God is able. But God has provided a team for us to help us and lift us to the throne of grace and encourage us and help us through the valley and through the fire to walk with us through it. And that has helped me back then, helped us in these last six months to know you were on the team and you were praying with us. I got one more thought. It's very brief. Well, the preacher said it was very brief. We'll see. Some of you have come up to me over these, these months and made comment to me about how they appreciated or valued my expression of faith through this journey. Which reminds me that how I react to challenges and trials affects others. How you react when you're going through the valley and it seems like everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Sooner or later you likely will go through that valley We've all remarked different times about Loretta. <laughs> I think I was sitting on the platform during the memorial service, funeral service, and we're singing a hymn and she's got her hand up rejoicing. People are watching you even as they're watching me and how you walk through the valley and through the fire either lifts others up or pushes them down. If you want to weather the storm, remember the prayer. Remember your own walk with Jesus and make sure everything's up to date and you're in the center of his will. And remember that people are watching you even as they're watching me. Now, Lord, we thank you for your grace that brought us into a relationship with you. We're here because of your grace, because of your invitation, because of your invitation to be a part of your family. Help us, O oh Father to be faithful to the very end no matter what we have to go through, recognizing that the church lifts us up even as we lift them up and grace conquers all. Amen. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast. 
from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.